0: This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. The speaker for this message is Craig Kavanis, the senior pastor of Grace Church. Today, um, I want to bring a message on mission, and uh, our mission as a church, and Really, our, the Great Commission is what we're looking at, the Great Commission in John. And uh, I think this will be a little bit of a different kind of a message in that um, I, I want to just speak about mission a little bit at the 30,000-foot level and not on the ground level. Uh, in January, we'll talk in the ground level because I want to be talking about our mission together um, as a church in, in specifics in January. Um, but this, this Sunday, I want to look at the passage and draw out sort of a a general philosophy of mission, and uh, this passage has changed my view of uh, mission uh, 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 it's changed my view of the Great Commission, actually. Um, and it's a small tweak, but a small tweak in viewing mission has has uh, is is really starting to revolutionize the way I look at the whole subject. So this passage has been helpful to me, and I hope I can open it up in a way that will be helpful for you. But I just wanted to let you know on the outset, it's a little bit uh, sort of philosophy of mission, big picture mission, uh, with a few specifics thrown in. So let's read John 20, verses 19 through 23. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you um, are the sent one, Lord Jesus. We thank you that you were sent by the Father. We thank you that you send us in a similar manner We pray that you would open up to us this text today and speak to us and stir us with faith for following you in your mission, Lord. We're so thankful that we've been recipients of your mission, that you've come to us and saved us. And we're so thankful that we're participants in your mission, that you send us, that you might save others yet to know you. And so we're so grateful for that. Lord, I pray that you'd fill me with your spirit and empower me to declare the truths of this passage. And I pray you'd give us all ears to hear and hearts to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week we looked at the resurrection, and so the passage we just read, it's, uh, it's still Easter, it's still Easter Sunday, it's Easter evening at this point, um, the disciples, Peter and John, have already discovered the empty tomb, that's, uh, that's what happened the Sunday morning, and then Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene, Rob preached that section, both those sections last week, and so Jesus has already appeared to Mary Magdalene, and now he's appearing to his disciples. And uh, the passage tells us that the doors, they are, the, the disciples on the first day of the week, Sunday, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, verse 19, Jesus came and stood among them. And so they are locked up somewhere in fear. They're behind locked doors. There's probably a, they're probably in a house with a front door that's locked, in an inner room with a door that's locked, multiple locks. And so they're locked up, afraid of the Jews. Jesus has just been killed; they deserted him. Uh, uh, most of them did when he was uh, when he was arrested. And so they're fearful that, as followers of Jesus, they're subject to persecution and attack themselves. And so they're hovering, fearful disciples in this room. And the passage tells us the doors are locked. Now it gives us that detail. Because it reveals that they want to stay separate from persecution. But they all, uh, John also gives us that detail because it shows us the glory and the power of the resurrection. Because Jesus passes through these barriers. You can't lock Jesus out of the room. He's the resurrected Lord. And it says, Jesus came and stood among them. So they think they're locked up, and Jesus comes through these barriers and stands among his disciples. And the first words he says to them, the very first words the resurrected Lord speaks to his followers are, Peace be with you. This has got to be astonishing to them. They saw him die or heard of his death, and, and they knew the tomb was empty, but even that's mysterious. What really happened there, they don't know. And here's Jesus standing among them, passing through locked doors in their midst and saying to them, peace be with you. That was a common greeting, peace. The word shalom was a Hebrew word. It was a common greeting, but Jesus is not just giving a common greeting. This isn't like, what's up, or you know something like that. He's not just walking in and kind of just giving a general greeting. This is a peace be with you, shalom to you, that carries a power. Because Jesus is speaking to the fearful disciples and the first words he wants them to know, first word he wants them to know is shalom, peace. Now when we think of peace, we often think of like an absence of conflict um, or an inner tranquility, something like that. But this word is a rich theological word, this word shalom. It, it means... Um, It means the state of being in life when all is right because we are right with God. It's a peace that's based upon our being right with God. It's the the abundant life. It is the overall well-being that comes from a right relationship with God. And so he comes to these fearful disciples and says, you know, peace be with you. May you experience the overall well-being in life. That comes when you are right with God. And then notice what he does. Having spoken that word to them, verse 20, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. His hands, which were nailed to a cross. His side, which was pierced with a spear by the Roman soldiers. Jesus shows them the proof of his death. What's happening here? He's making a connection. You have the overall well-being, the ultimate peace that comes from being right with God. And you are right with God because I bore the sacrifice for your sins. And here's the proof. The pierced hands, the pierced side, which demonstrate that our sins, their sins were laid upon Jesus. He died and was resurrected so that we could have peace with God. Listen, if you're here today and you would not consider yourself a Christian or you're unsure if you're a Christian or maybe you don't even know what all that means, you cannot find peace in life, ultimate peace in life, apart from knowing Jesus Christ, apart from believing in the crucified and resurrected Jesus, apart from believing that he was crucified and died to pay the penalty for our sins. Because whether we feel it or not, the truth is, on our own, by our nature, we are not at peace with God. We are not. We have declared ourselves, by our sin, every one of us. By our sin, we declare ourselves enemies of God. We push away from God. We do our own thing. We go our own way. And by going our own way and doing our own thing, we, we often don't think of it this way, but it's actually declaring war upon God, the ruler of the universe, saying, you have commanded that I live in a certain way, but I will live my own way. And so we have made war on God, and Jesus has come, fully God and fully man, to die in our place, to make peace, to bring a peace treaty between us and God, to reconcile us to God, whom we have departed from and offended by our sins. So the only way you can know peace, you cannot buy peace, you cannot experience it through rest, vacations, luxury stuff, comfort an absence of conflict. You can, you can have an absence of overt conflict with people in your life and still not have peace with God. The only way to have peace with God is exactly what Jesus is showing here. He shows up, shows the scars, demonstrating that he was a sacrifice. He was resurrected to defeat the power of sin. And through their belief in him, they have peace with God. It's a gospel reenactment. The resurrected Lord invades the darkness of their fear. They're trembling as deserters, and in Peter's case, a denier of Jesus. Deserters and deniers, and Jesus burst into the darkness, burst into their fear, and says, peace be with you because what I have done for you it's a, a gospel reenactment. The resurrected Lord invades their darkness. And that is the setup for the, that sets the stage for the commission that he gives them. Look what he says. He repeats to them, peace, verse, I mean, verse 21 now, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So he says it again, and then he gives them this commission. As the Father sent me, so I send you. Now you notice he doesn't tell where he's sending them. Back in chapter 17, in the high priestly prayer we studied, he does. Back in chapter 17, verse 18, Jesus said, praise to the Father, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So there he says, the Father sends the Son into the world, and the Son sends his followers into the world. So here he is saying, as the Father has sent me into the world, so I am sending you. I want to look at two things here. I want to look at the sender. It was Jesus, and I will look at the sent, which is uh, the disciples, and by implication, the church, which follows them, you and and me, all believers. Let's first of all look at the sender. Our tendency is to move right past the sender and look at the commission for us. What does it mean to be sent? That's where we often start. What does that mean? What does that look like? And let's give some practical uh, steps towards how we can live as the sent people of God. And it's fair that we would... be concerned about what that means. Uh, what is our mission, we could say. Uh, the word mission is, uh, comes from a Latin word, which means to send. So our very m- mission means to be sent. But here, we want to start not with the sent, but with the sender. It's always bad form when interpreting Scripture to start with what does this mean about me. That's always bad interpretation of Scripture. But it's especially bad interpretation when Jesus is standing in the room as the resurrected Savior who is just... Uh, died, been buried, risen from the dead to defeat the power of sin, to start off with, that's fine, Jesus, but what does this mean for me and my mission? I'd be a little inappropriate to bring that up at this time. They're in awe and stunned by the sender, the one who is the sent one. We've, we've called this whole study on John sent because that is the most common designation of Jesus in the Gospel of John. The most common designation is that Jesus is the son sent by the Father to rescue sinners. And so Jesus is sent by the Father, and he sends his followers. Uh, Consider John 3.17. Here's a statement, which is kind of a mission statement for Jesus. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. He didn't send his Son to condemn the world, but that we might be saved through him. So that's his sending. He was sent to save us. And this is why this is important. Jesus' commission to his disciples is rooted in his own sending. He highlights ultimately throughout the Gospel of John, the most common designation, I think it's like, I forget, but something like 42 references to him being sent, or the sent one, or the son sent by the Father. So he is the sent one, And his commission to his disciples is based upon his own sending, his own nature and his own character. His very nature of the son is the one who is sent by the father. That's his nature. That's his function. That's his character. That's his mission. That's who he is. He is sent as a sacrifice. He is sent as God come to earth in the form of man, fully God, fully man. And the entire gospel reveals that truth. And now when he comes to send his followers, he sends them with the remembrance that, you know, some 40 times he's always already described himself as the sent one. They are sent, we are sent in light of his mission. Our mission is determined by his mission. Our mission is connected to his mission. Our mission is governed by his mission. Without him, we have no mission. Our mission is based on as the Father sent me and the work of Jesus Christ. Now, here's again why this is important, because it's easy for us to define our personal mission as Christians on a horizontal plane. On a horizontal plane. It's easy for us when we think about mission to talk about things like this in the first place. To talk about being a witness for Jesus. To talk about being salt and light in the culture we're placed, in our neighborhood, in our workplaces. To to be a church that is called on a mission to reach out to those who know the Lord to live a missional life. This is often where we start in discussing mission, and it is not where the Bible starts in discussing mission. The Bible doesn't start on a horizontal plane when it discusses mission. The Bible starts on a vertical plane. The Father in heaven sends the Son to Earth, That is the starting place, that God sent his son to us and for us. And the primary movement of mission in the Bible is a vertical movement. We'll be celebrating this at Christmas. On God coming to earth, becoming man, and then dying and being resurrected. Jesus sends us, but he first and foremost reminds us that he is the sent one. As the Father sent me. So our mission thought, our mission strategy, our mission philosophy, our mission identity must begin in a very serious way with an understanding of Jesus as The sent one. Because as the Father sent me, he says, so I am sending you. So we want to start and we want to major on the vertical mission before we talk about the horizontal mission. And we've been doing that for all this year as we've looked at the Gospel of John and how Jesus was sent by the Father. Well, that's the sender. Let's. What can we learn about the sent? Because Jesus does say that we are sent as he is sent. You notice that in verse uh, 21, as the father has sent me, so I'm sending you as it means in a like manner, in the same way, in a like manner, in a similar manner, in the same way the father sent me, so I'm sending you. Now he doesn't mean in an identical manner. There's something unique about Jesus's mission. He is God and becomes incarnate the son. None of us are that. He dies on the cross for our sins. None of us make atonement for anyone. But there are similarities between his mission and our mission. What is the nature of our mission relative to his mission? I want to look a bit at the language of this phrase. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. I, I rarely, I won't say never, but I rarely... Uh, in sermons, discuss the original grammar. To make a point, point A, uh, it can come off like, uh, you know, preacher man's being smarty pants up there and that kind of deal. And uh, sometimes it sounds very, you know, when there are these magical secret things that come out of the text, if you can read the original, it kind of gives this air of, uh, like I said, smarty pants. I don't really want to do that because I'm not smarty pants. I'm not a Greek scholar at all. Um, but I've checked this one with some who are. Um. And the language, the grammar of this phrase, is this is what's really changed my understanding. I think it's significant. Here's the grammar of the phrase. The Father has sent me. The first verb, has sent me, in Greek is in a perfect tense. And what that means is the perfect tense is when a verb is described that has completed action in the past that has an ongoing result. It has continuous effects in the future. So what it, what, what the idea is, is that the Father sent the Son in the past with the result of His sending having an ongoing effect. The Son is sent in the past and the ongoing effect with an ongoing effect into the present, and we are sent in a continuous action in the present. So Father sent the Son in the past, the Son is sent with an ongoing effect into the present, and he is currently sending us. Here's an explanation of why this matters from a, a scholar named D.A. Carson. who's just going to share a quote with you where he explains how the grammar makes a difference here. He says it is probably wrong to think of the disciples simply replacing Jesus. The perfect tense in as the Father has sent me suggests that Jesus is in an ongoing state of sentness. Just because he ascends to the Father does not mean he is no longer the sent one, par excellence. Thus Christ's disciples do not take over Jesus's mission, His mission continues and is effective in their ministry and in our ministry. So what's being said here is there's not two missions. There's not the mission of Jesus, and then Jesus ascends to the Father, and now we have the mission of the church. There is a single mission. It's wrong to think of it this way. It's wrong to think of it as Jesus coming and accomplishing salvation through death, burial, and resurrection, then ascending to the uh, Father. But before he does, through these Great Commission passages, like at the end of Matthew, Luke, and here, that he hands the baton off to the church. So he's run his lap. He's done in the relay race. Um, he's not huffing and puffing because he's God, but he's done. He hands the baton to the church. The church grabs the baton, and now it's us on our mission. I remember hearing a sermon illustration. I don't, I don't remember who told me this. I'm not critiquing them. I've told somebody 10, 20 years from now will be preaching and mocking some sermon illustration they heard me give. So I'm very patient and very forgiving for bad sermon illustrations because I've had plenty. But this is a sermon illustration that sticks with me from my childhood. Because it affected me emotionally. Uh, this is what the preacher said. I, here's just the highlights. It was very dramatic and emotional, but here, here's the highlights. Uh, Jesus dies. Jesus buried. Jesus resurrects, resurrected. Jesus ascends. And when Jesus ascends, it's an apocryphal story. When Jesus ascends, they, an angel is there to talk with him. And so Jesus and the angel are talking, and the angel says, well, how did it go down on earth? I mean, even right there, but okay. So an angel's talking to him. It's an apocryphal story. How did it go down on earth? As if the angel's totally ignorant of redemption. But nonetheless, how did it go down there on earth? And yeah, I went well. I got some disciples and, you know, I taught them and then died for them, was buried, was resurrected for them, and uh, now I'm back. Well, what's going to happen now? I mean, how's the message going to go forth? Well, I left them, Jesus said. I left them with the message, and I left them with the charge, and I left them with the commission so that they will take the message and they will continue the mission. And um, so the angel says, well, what if they fail? What is the plan if the disciples don't do their mission following your mission? And Jesus said, I'm sure with a tear in his eye, I have no other plan. And it just pierced. oh, it's up to me. I can remember thinking, I'm 16. If I don't live the mission, I'll blow it. Jesus is up there. He can't do anything. He's done all that he can. He's handed it off to me. And now if I don't fulfill my mission, I, you know Jesus can't do anything. He's limited. Jesus has done all that he can. And now it's up to me to do the rest. Now, to the degree that communicated responsibility for gospel, witness, and testimony, that's good. But to the degree I understood it as Jesus did his part, now we do our part, that's wrong. That's two missions. That's Jesus come and does his mission, and now the church does our mission. But Jesus was sent and remains in an ongoing state of sentness. Jesus is still the sent one. Jesus is still fulfilling his mission, whether I blow it or not. Jesus is not dependent upon me. He is not wringing his hands. Oh, what if Grace Church doesn't? You know, He is not worried and stressed out. Jesus is fulfilling his mission. We get to play a part in it. If we blow it as I thought, Jesus will still save people, which is no excuse. It's not a, it doesn't matter what we do card. I'm not saying that, but it, but it is not as if Jesus did his mission. We do ours. Jesus does his part. We do ours. He's still sent. Here's how commentator Bruce Milne expressed that. He said, it is one single action get these words, I love this, the great movement of the missionary heart of God, sending forth his son into the world, initially through the incarnation, that means he was, became man, subsequently through his church. The one mission of God has two phases. The first is that of the son in his incarnate life, the second, that of the son in his risen life through his people. There's one mission. It's just Jesus is in two different modes, so to speak. One, he's human, he's teaching, he's dying, he's rising. That's the first phase of the mission. The second phase of the mission is he's ascended, he's ruling, he's still sent, he's still saving, and he's doing it through his people. It's one mission. This is why, if you flip over one page in my Bible, one page to the beginning of Acts, the book of Acts is the story of the early church and the disciples. How does Acts begin? In the first book, O Theophilus, that's Luke writing. He means the Gospel of Luke. So in the Gospel of Luke, which told the story of Jesus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, What's implied? Jesus is doing more stuff now, and I'm telling you about it. But isn't Jesus ascended? Yes, but he's still doing more now. How's he doing that? He's doing it through his church. There is a single mission. Now, here's why this, I think, can make a difference, because mission takes on a renewed glory with this very subtle shift that it's his mission and not ours in an ultimate sense. With that Subtle shift, it's transforming. Because it makes me aware it's not primarily about my personal witness, it's not primarily about my community group's witness, it's not primarily about our church's outreach, it's not primarily about international mission as we participate together with a family of churches and Sovereign Grace Ministries, so it's not about any of those being the ultimate. It's about Jesus Christ, the sent one, saving people and allowing me to participate individually as a small group, as a family, as a church a network of churches it allows me and us to participate in what he is doing now in his mission that is really the difference when we begin to think about our calling as serving him in his mission there is a sobriety that comes with this there's a sobriety this isn't like the mission statement up at uh, you know up at your office which is important or at the restaurant or wherever you know there's these mission statements uh Jesus' mission is more sober than any other mission statement imaginable. Jesus' mission is to seek and save the lost. He did not come to condemn, but to save the lost. And so this is important to him. He is active, and we get to serve him in his mission, not come up with our own. We get to respond to him in his mission. There's a sense of urgency because it's different. Do I love my neighbor? Uh, yeah. Does Jesus love my neighbor? Absolutely. And so I, out of awareness of Jesus' love for my neighbor, relate to my neighbor. Not based on my love, based on Christ's love for him. Do I care about my lost relative? Yes. Do I care about the lost uh, checker at the grocery store? Not as much as my relative, but yeah. On good days when I'm thinking about it. Do I care about the lost driver that just cut me off? Probably not, okay, truthfully, at that moment. Jesus cares about all of those people and shed his blood. Jesus's mission to reach those people, there's a sobriety. There's an urgency. It's not an optional thing. If it's my mission, it's pretty optional based on how I feel any given moment. If it's Jesus's mission, it's never an option because what's more important than Jesus's mission? He didn't hand us the baton and now it's just ours. He's still in the race. He's still saving. That's why it's different. There's a sense of privilege. I've got a lot of privileges in my life. I'm privileged to um, have all the Lord has blessed me and entrusted me with. And privileged to have a wonderful wife and children, a grandchild. I'm privileged to have wonderful friends and you as a church. You know, I'm privileged in many, many ways in my life. But is there a greater privilege than knowing the Lord Jesus Christ And serving him in what he's doing today. And obviously, I'm serving him in all those roles, hopefully. But there's a sense of privilege, there's a sense of assurance. Like I said earlier, if Jesus is wringing his hand saying, I have no other plan, it's up to them, good luck. I mean, it ain't, if it's up to us, this thing is tanking. I mean, we are, this church is, we are, I'm serious, we are circling the drain individually as families, as a church. If it's up to us, if Jesus is off the, off the, the field and we've got the baton and we're running and doing it all, it's over. But if it's Jesus' mission, he says the gates of hell will not prevail against his mission. No one will stop Jesus from saving people. No one will save, stop the power of the Holy Spirit from invading hearts with the gospel by entering the darkness and bringing to life dead souls. No one stops the Lord. No one can stop the Lord. I mean, look at, in the book of Acts, in the book of Acts, think about Paul. He is on a mission to kill Christians. That doesn't stop the Lord from knocking him off, blinding him and saving him. I mean, if it's up to Paul's friends who've been converted to make sure he gets converted, well, it's a lost cause. But if it's up to Jesus to knock the guy out, blind him and save him, he'll save him. And then he'll write the Bible. (laughs) So it's different to say I'm serving his mission versus he's serving our mission. It's a huge, huge difference. It's a different sense of assurance, a different sense of joy, a a different sense that horizontal strategies, and these aren't slogans I'm assigning to any organization or group, these are just generic, but slogans like growing the church, slogans like reaching the city, slogans like touching the nations, there's nothing wrong with those as long as we understand that Jesus is saving people and growing the church, Jesus is reaching the city, Jesus is touching the nations, and we're serving him in his mission, but otherwise it's just very horizontal We want to be gripped with the reality that Scripture teaches us that Christ, the sent one, remains the sent one. He is ever on mission, and he sends us on his mission. So my main burden is not that we all get on mission. My main burden is that we all see that Jesus is on mission, and we serve him in that. It's subtle, but I think it's transforming. I think it's very, very different in terms of hope, sobriety, urgency, joy for the task, confidence in the task, privilege. Totally different. Here's the big idea: Our mission is to serve His mission. Our mission is to serve the sent one as He advances His gospel through His church into the world. Our mission is to serve the sent one, and He's the one who's advancing the gospel through the church into the world, through us. Well, there does remain an unanswered question because it does say, "In what He does say, we are sent as He is." So. How are we sent? We said we're not incarnate. We don't atone for anybody's sin, so we're not sent exactly, but we're sent similarly. How are we sent similarly? As we have studied the Gospel of John, and I don't have time to develop this right now, but uh, they would be just reminders for you. As we've studied the Gospel of John, numerous places, Jesus has communicated as the Son sent by the Father that he's dependent on the Father um, and that he's obedient to the Father, I just want to look at one of those, because we do mirror Christ in that way. As Jesus relates to his sender, we relate to our senders. He relates to the Father, we relate to God as well. So he is a sent one who is de- dependent. Here's a verse where Jesus defines his being dependent. It's John five nineteen. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. So what is Jesus saying? Christ is saying, I don't do anything on my own accord. I'm dependent on the Father. I only do what the Father's doing. So he is dependent. Now, in the same way, we are dependent. And Jesus goes there in the very next verse, 22. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. So he is speaking now about... The provision for our dependence. What's the provision for our ministry? His was perfect union with the Father, obviously. He only did what the Father was doing. And ours is union with Christ as well, union through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is essential to our mission because we are dependent. We are dependent. That's what, in the real thing, Jesus would have been saying to the angel. If I can go apocryphal again, the, the illustration would be, well, of course the mission's going to be accomplished because I'm Lord of the mission and I've given the Spirit to fulfill the mission. That's the answer, so the angel doesn't have to worry. The angel can just relax and know it's all going to be covered. I've always been concerned for that angel. He's just, I have no other plan. Oh, what do we, you know, so there it is. <clears throat> There's much debate about what's going on here. When Jesus breathes and says, receive the Spirit, uh, and I don't want to get into all that debate. Um, I think what's happening is that this is a prophetic thing, or this is a sign, because in really a matter of days, uh, they're all going to be empowered by the Spirit at Pentecost. And I think this is demonstrating a sign of what's actually happening. But regardless of what's actually happening when he breathes on them, the point is that the ministry of the Spirit is tied to the commission. As the Father sent me, I send you, and here's the Spirit. The Spirit is the one we are dependent upon. Um, God not only gives us a mission, his mission, but he empowers us to accomplish it. And this should bring great hope to us. Great hope. Can the Holy Spirit accomplish the mission? Is the Holy Spirit capable of taking the word of God as we share that and bringing it to life in people's hearts? Absolutely. Is the Holy Spirit um, able to do all that God wants him to do? He is God himself? Yes. Yes. If the thought of reaching your neighbor, think about this, reaching the people on your block. If the thought of reaching the people on your block with the gospel, opening your mouth, sharing the gospel, loving them, serving them, whatever. If reaching your neighbor, reaching your community, if the thought of reaching your boss with the gospel, reaching your coworker with the gospel, if the thought of one day participating personally on a church plant, if the thought of going on a short-term mission trip if the thought of bringing up the gospel at Thanksgiving or Christmas with a lost relative, if any of those things are daunting to you and daunting to me, that's great. That's great. Because that means we say we're dependent. God, I'm scared. God, I'm, in, I'm incapable. I can't save them. God, my witness is not perfect. They may ask, why are you telling me this? You know, <clears throat> But the spirit is can use us. The Spirit is the one that saves our neighbor. The Holy Spirit applies the work of Christ to our relative. The Holy Spirit empowers us to take a step of faith and participate on a church plan. The Holy Spirit leads us into other nations and empowers us to do that. We are dependent upon him. He's saying, I'm sending you, receive the Spirit. That is our hope, that the Spirit empowers us in all of the parts of Christ's mission, to reach the world. If we feel our inability, that is great. As a matter of fact, when we get a vision for Jesus' mission, no one will say, let's do this. <laughs> Are you kidding? We'll say, the impossible. When we see Jesus' mission, we will say, impossible. Apart from the Holy Spirit and the Lord leading the mission and the Word of God being powerful to bring people from death to life. So when we see the mission of if we see our mission, it's accomplished. Here's our five-year plan. Here's all the steps. Here's what we're going to do. You know, all the hands in here, ready, break, and go team, and we're going to go do our mission. But if we really see the Lord's mission, we will say, we can't do that. We'll tremble. What, how? And that's where the Lord says, the Holy Spirit, the word of God, the assurance of Jesus who has a mission and will fulfill it. The pioneer missionary Hudson Taylor once said this, in missionary to China. He said, the supreme want of all missions in the present day is the manifested presence of the Holy Ghost. The supreme need in all, now he was talking about mission to an unreached culture, but it's true in a semi-reached culture and in an unreached person, individual. The supreme need of all missions in the present day is the presence of the Holy Ghost. Jesus is ever sending. We are ever sent The sent one is on mission. Sent one was sent in the past with continuing results in the future. The book of Acts is all records all that he continued to do, and church history records all that he's continued to do, and your life reflects all that he's continued to do. He is active. He advances. Our mission is to serve his mission. And the mission of the sent one is to advance his gospel through his church into his world. How do we respond to this? Well, here's the biggest idea or point or burden that I would have. I'm going to give a few practicals, but before those, give more practicals in early 2012, but before those, the biggest thing is that we begin to see Jesus as the sent one, as he describes himself in this gospel that he is sent, and we see him as the one who is continuing to reach people, continuing to reach our children. Our neighbors, our relatives, the folks that we're going to encounter that we don't know. He is continuing. When we think of mission, do we, in the first place, do we first go, well, when we think of mission, and we just hear there's going to be a message on mission or evangelism, some of us think immediately guilt. That's where we start. They're going to preach on evangelism or prayer. I'm just guilty, okay? (laughs) Evangelism or prayer, it's just, this is going to be a guilt Sunday, okay? I'm going to walk out guilty. I'm going to get whipped for how bad I am at that. I'm just going to go out with my head hanging because I am a failure, Well. Uh, The good news is that Jesus changes us and that he's not a failure in mission and won't ever be a failure in mission, and he redeems and uses failures for the purpose of his mission. So that's the glorious news in all of this. But when you first think of mission, do you think of guilt? Do you think of my witness, my example, my words? Do you think of the church's call to the culture around us? Maybe you think of missions in a foreign nation. When you think of mission... Or do you think, in the first place, my mission is to serve the sent one who is on mission? My mission as a disciple of Jesus, not an independent contractor doing my own mission. I am a follower of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. Of Jesus, I am in union with Jesus Christ. I am filled with the Spirit. I am empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in me. And so my calling is to serve and follow him, as he leads the mission and as he, by the power of the Spirit, uses my me and uses us to work through us so that he is saving people. It's very should be very God-centered, very Christ-centered, not very me-centered. And there's a place to be convicted. But ultimately, that conviction should turn us and say, Lord, I want to follow you and serve you in your mission, in what you are doing. He is ongoingly, I don't know if that's a word, but he is ongoingly sent by the Father. And he is bringing light in the darkness to rescue sinners through his church. Recently, a lady in our church shared a testimony with me, and she was telling me about bringing a relative to the service, worship service here, and it was very recent when she was telling me this, and she was telling me about um, some things, how her relative had been affected in the service, and then what happened after the service, which led to her um, leading her relative to Christ a few days after coming here. And it was a wonderful story, but here's what her testimony, here's what stood out in her testimony, is there was just an awareness that God, she was amazed, as she was telling me, You know, her facial expression, her countenance, and even her words, what I was picking up is she was amazed that God had saved her relative. And she pointed to some things that happened in the service that were effective, children worshiping, the sermon, some different things that affected the relative. But it was God. It was, it was so different. She had a desire for the scripture. She wanted to know Jesus. She, her desire was totally different. And what I appreciated about this gal's testimony to me was she was emphasizing in her, in her, it was just coming through to me, that the Lord had done something in her relative. And she was celebrating that. And that's the way it is, is that we can look and say, Lord, you are the one who is acting. You are the sent one. I want to lift my eyes to have a high view of the mission That it's your mission. This means to orient ourselves to a Christ-centered vision of mission. Well, I could go on, but you get the point. That's what we've been talking about. Secondly, we can pray for the mission. I made the point that the giving of the Holy Spirit is primarily a statement of our dependence upon God. And the way we express our dependence on God most clearly is through prayer. When I am not active in prayer, it's usually not that I'm lazy, though I am, and that can contribute It's usually not that I'm lazy, it's usually that I don't see my dependence on the Lord. If you go to the doctor and you get a diagnosis of cancer, I've never had that diagnosis, some of you have, if you get a diagnosis of cancer from the doctor, that affects your prayer life. Why? Because somehow you get a lot of self-discipline through that diagnosis, because you started keeping a prayer chart and a journal? No, because you're going, I need God or I'm going to die. And so all of a sudden, you're in prayer, and those around you are in prayer. And you don't have to remember it. And I say, what is it I'm praying about? Oh, a terminal illness. No, you know. This is what I'm praying about. Lord, I need you. And the same thing is here. When we see the mission is his mission, and it is sober, and it is urgent, and it matters to Christ, and we're incapable, and it's so grand, we could never pull it off on our own, it leads us to prayer. Because prayer shows our dependence, and so we pray. We pray. Prayer is not now. Prayer is not a substitute for participation in the mission. Prayer is like oxygen for the mission. It's not like well, I could pray or I could witness. I could pray or I could reach out. I could pray or I could be salt and light. I could pray or I could be work hard on the job to be a good example of Christ. Christ's work in me. No, it's prayer is the life of the mission. It's it's the oxygen of the mission. So we pray, Lord, fill me with the Spirit. We pray for boldness. We pray for open doors for the gospel. We pray for wisdom to know, how do I invest my time? How do I invest my resources? We pray to be salt and light, as Christ says we are, on our jobs. We pray for God to raise up evangelists. We pray for God to raise up church planters and missionaries. We pray for our neighbors. We pray that we may be a people who live serving his mission, aware of his. We pray that we just get it and we see that it's his mission, that he makes that transforming switch in our view. We pray for the nations. So we pray. It shows that we are dependent. Let's say a word about the nations real quickly. Um, the Lord has put a burden on our hearts as pastors to, to really to pray for our mission across the street and across the world, to pray for our mission for our neighbor next door and all those kind of things. And so on the, in the Friday morning prayer meetings, we pray for that pretty frequently, the mission aspects, because we're dependent. Now, um, I don't know if you know this, but the first Friday of every month, we pray the majority, if not the entire prayer meeting, is for the nation. So we pray for places that we have some connection to or something that we've heard or know about and pray that the gospel may go forth because we are dependent on Christ. And we're dependent on the Spirit, and we want to participate in his mission. We want to pray for um, church plants and, and for the gospel to go forth. So we pray that way. We've begun to devote the first meeting to prayer for the nation's as a great commission. The other thing that we've done, which you wouldn't know about, but you would remember if you got a little bit of a memory, you may remember, is the other thing is we're going to b- begin to have a time one Sunday a month where in our singing or in our worship, sometime in the in the service, we pray for. A nation. We pray for somewhere for the gospel to penetrate. Now, we did that, and you may not have even known, but the first time we <laughs> did that was on Orphan Sunday. We prayed for particularly ministry to orphans in Zambia as we prayed for every orphan's hope. So we're going to continue to do. We want prayer to be part of our prayer for our mission in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, but I want to comment as well, we feel like it goes beyond that, and we want to pray for the nations as well. When we express our dependence on the sender, the sender will open doors for us. When we're saying we're needy and we're praying and we're praying for opportunity, I find that I have opportunities to have conversations with people that I frequently don't have when I'm not even thinking about it. When I'm saying, Lord, it's your mission and I want to serve it and would you help me serve you in your mission, I find there's more opportunities. The same has been true for us as a church. As we've prayed for international kind of mission-type things, Uh, In the last number of months, there's been a shift. We were in three nations this last summer as a church, ministering in three different places. And that wasn't because we had a global strategy that in year five of the church we would do this. It's because we just prayed and said, Lord, what are you leading us to do? And he began to open various kinds of doors. And so the same is true, I believe, in our neighborhood, in our workplace, among our extended family, in the places and the people we just meet. Uh, At the Mary Main Street thing, coming up at Frisco Square, wherever we can be as we are praying and trusting the Lord and expressing our dependence, he will fulfill his mission through us. Prayer is vital. Lastly, we are to participate in the mission. I'm going to talk about that in January, as I've already said a couple times, but I really do believe our mission is to serve the sent one as he advances his gospel through his church and his world. And here's what I love, is that when he is saying this to them, as the Father sends me, so I am sending you, he is speaking to a group he is speaking to the disciples who are the band, who are the core, who are the core team, who are the church planting team for the historical church. They are the original ones. So when God calls us and sends us, he sends us together. You are not alone in serving Christ's mission. If you're married, you have a family. If you're single, you have friends. Um, you have a small group. You have a church. And you have a church that partners with other uh, mission opportunities, primarily our partnership with Sovereign Grace. And so we want to view this as an us. We are sent. We, We want this to be a conversation point because it's a life flow point in our small groups that we could talk about how God's opening doors or how we're praying for open doors to reach out to others. And we could support each other in that. And pray for that and help each other and maybe do it together, even with the holidays coming up. Maybe we together in our group can do some things to reach out very practically. We, as a group, we want to steward the opportunities uh, in our culture together that we have. So we want to be supportive of one another and, and view this as part of our corporate privilege of serving the sent one who's taking the gospel to uh, Frisco or McKinney or Dallas or wherever you live. He's taking the gospel there. he's He is on a mission to reach that area. And he's called us, and we get to do that together. Um, we can steward opportunities here on Sunday morning. I don't know if you think about this. We sing Christian songs and we hear Christian sermons. There's lost people, people who don't know Christ, every Sunday here. Well, some Sundays I don't see very many guests. Well, guess what? There's a whole, there, there's, there's, maybe there are not very many guests some Sundays. Uh, but maybe there's some attenders that have come a little bit and they're not Christians. Maybe there's children, for sure, there are children, teenagers, maybe college students that have grown up in the church that aren't Christians. But even beyond that, there's, there's people that don't know the Lord here every Sunday. And so we have the privilege together to be, have a heart to reach out, to introduce ourselves, to engage, to serve, to love, to reach out. Every Sunday morning, Christ is extending his mission to reach the lost. So we want to pray about that and ask God to do that as a church and also, we partner together in, uh, in, a, in a network of churches called Sovereign Grace, and we plant churches together. This church is a plant, Sovereign Grace Ministries. We partner together in mission. And I want to make a point about this this morning, to, really for two reasons. One is because i want to do a better job of us speaking about our extension through partnership. I don't think we always do a great job about that around here, but I want to do that uh, more. I want to do that better. And we are currently in a time in sovereign grace, we're kind of going through a time of evaluation, we've talked about this a little bit, Uh, a time of learning, a time where we are pursuing some reconciliation, where some offenses lie, Uh, we're in a time of definition, of defining, in some ways just bringing some clarity to uh, even organizationally, how we relate together as a network of churches. Um, so it's a time of definition. It's a time of growth. It's a time of tweaking. It's a time of repentance. It's a time of learning. Uh, so it's been an, uh, a very interesting season in a lot of ways for us. But one of my burdens in this season has been that we not lose our vision for mission, because mission never stops. There is not a time where we pull back on mission so that we can just concentrate on some family business and then later get to mission. That, that is not the way it works. If you've read the New Testament, uh, you would realize that every church in the New Testament has challenges. That's why they're getting letters. It, churches like Galatia and Corinth have huge challenges but, but the gospel is going forth. That's why Paul says the gospel continues to grow and bear fruit. Through perfect churches and perfect people? Absolutely not. Through people that have problems? Yes. And in some cases, like Corinth and Galatia, people that are really messed up, God is, the gospel is going forth. And if you look through church history, that's the way it is. The gospel goes forth through a limping church. Not through a perfect church, through a limping church. That's how the gospel goes forth. And throughout church history, if every time there was a challenge, mission was put on pause, none of us would be in the room right now because none of us would have ever heard the gospel because it would have stopped. Well, it would have stopped in the first century. It would have stopped at the very begin. It would have stopped in Acts. We would have never gotten past Acts if they just put the balls button. We got some issues and we'll get those worked out. And then there will be issues until Jesus returns. And so mission is not to stop because there are, that doesn't mean we don't pay attention to our issues individually, as a small group, as a church, as a network of churches. Of course, we need to soberly address whatever God is addressing with us. But the point is that mission continues. This summer, here's an example. This summer, we had a weekend with the church planting, with a couple members of the church planting team that Sovereign Grace Ministries is sending out to North Africa. You remember that? We gathered on a Saturday night. We had Q&A. They're going to reach an unreached people group. It's a group of Westerners, um, and they are moving in North Africa to reach an unreached people group. And what is, as you heard his stories, a dangerous area to take the gospel. Half that team left on Tuesday. They went out. The other half goes, on Jan- uh, goes in January. But I just bring that as a as a saying, someone that we met and that we have a relational, organic connection to and that we're supporting in prayer and finances. So I just bring that to your attention. That team just left. We want to pray for them. We don't want to miss that. Gospel mission must go forward. So that's one reason I want to say that is because we want to talk about our mission broadly, and we want to be able to do that at all times. And secondly, I mention that because next week we'll have our uh, annual opportunity that we make available to those who would want to participate in our church to participate in our uh, our mission fund for our network of churches, our family of churches, Sovereign Grace. So next week we're going to show a uh, video. A brief video, and then we'll give you an opportunity to participate in that if you would like. You are a generous church. Um, appreciate the way you always participate in whatever the Lord is laying before us. But the point is that we are sent together. We are sent as families, we are sent as community groups, we are sent as a church, and we are sent in partnership. Uh, with a network of churches to take the gospel forward. Jesus is on mission. Jesus remains sent. Jesus is acting with his gospel through his church to his world to save. And we get to be a part of serving him in his mission on our block, in our office, with our family, and across the world. What a great privilege. What a great joy. What greater honor. That's one of the things of being a, not knowing Christ, one of the great emptinesses of not knowing Christ is not only that there's no satisfaction ultimately in life apart from Jesus, but that you miss out on the greatest mission on the planet. You miss out on what you were created for. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit dot www.gracechurchfrisco.org